Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No Iron Podcast, a podcast about teams. It's a podcast about being in teams. It's a podcast about leading teams. Uh, it is a podcast about getting the most out of whatever team you are in. Uh, my name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance teacher and a performance maker. And I am joined on this grey and drizzly Sunday uh, by my partner in pod, Sean Gallagher, sports coach and head of co-curricular and sport at our shared workplace. How are you this morning, Sean? Very well, Mark. I've been out and about in this grey and uh, slightly miserable Sunday, but getting some activity in there, which is always good. Team sports? Had a bit of a kickabout, yes. Yes. Went and had a bit of a kickabout with my brother, which was uh, quite nice. Got a bit of a sweat on. Uh, your, your your brother being our guest booker. Indeed, yes. All of, our, all of your favourite guests. The same guests, person. All of our best episodes have come from uh, Sean's connections, family connections. Uh, Sports Mafia member, Sean. <laughs> Absolutely. What have you been thinking about team-wise this week? Um, Team-wise, well, obviously today we're kind of reposting an episode. Um, It's very much a leadership episode, isn't it, this one? Yeah, I was just listening listening back to the episode and it is around that leadership uh, and especially, you know, in a school setting which we both work in and it's just really interesting to kind of see an external person go in to a kind of team within a school and all that that brings in terms of the the pressures and the strains and the stresses sometimes of those teams and kind of work with those people to come out with with a more positive kind of end goal really um it's just it's a it's a really interesting thing that that some of these schools are doing and so yeah i mean in terms of teams i'm kind of watching a program at the moment on youtube called the season which is a part of rugby pass and so as i've mentioned in previous episodes i am no rugby kind of um expert expert is the word i'm looking for but i do enjoy kind of a lot of the team culture stuff around it obviously and yeah these are a bunch of young young guys sort of between 16 and 18 similar age group to to what we work with mark um and they are a lot of independent schools um in uh, kind of southern hemisphere so new zealand and australia um and it's all about their kind of first 15 uh, and trying to win this kind of premiership that they play in there's only eight games so every single game is almost like a final and then it takes you around the school and the kind of culture around it uh, and how important rugby is to them and it's just really cool to see kind of like a school setting in a completely different part of the world really it must be because i think there's a we talk off mic quite a lot about how to do the best we can do with smaller scale or smaller resources so it must be quite interesting to see you know how how that happens on a competition level um sean did suggest we've got uh james adu with us uh again or reposting james's uh, episode i'd love to have him on again actually and dig a little bit deeper into into what we've got started here but we're reposting his episode from the first lockdown where he talks a little bit about going into schools with his work, um, with his company Innescope, where he goes in and delivers leadership training and um, 
applied emotional intelligence, not just to young people, but also to teachers and leadership teams to make sure that schools uh, and colleges are running as the best versions of themselves. It's a, it's a super inspiring episode. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of what he gets into on the other side of it. But yeah, I think if you haven't listened to this one before, so worth so worth tuning into all of it. If you have, it's quite a good it's quite a good revisit. I think Sean and I were talking this week about kind of how as teachers we like to kind of spiral around and meet topics again a little bit later on just to recap the knowledge. So consider this a little bit of podcast pedagogy. Uh, we're bringing you back round to uh, to to the message of James's podcast. Uh, it's a top one, so we'll jump straight into it. This is our conversation from back in May time with James Adu. So joining us today on the podcast is uh, James Adu. James is the founder of an organisation called Innerscope, who work with uh, student and staff groups on teamwork and leadership. James, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, I've given a very brief intro there. Yes. Perhaps you want to introduce yourself a little bit more, talk about your journey, how you got to where you are now. Exactly. Well, yeah. So as you say, um, I have the privilege of, of running a team. Um, we're called Innerscope and we work with students and staff teams around things related to um, emotional intelligence. Well, I like, I like to call it applied mo- emotional intelligence. I think it, oftentimes it can seem like this sort of kind of you know, almost esoteric sort of out there sort of concept but a lot of our work is kind of the, the the beautiful blend between the profound and the practical so we work with students gearing them up for their GCSEs but then equipping them with a skill set that kind of um, I guess assists their progress beyond their academia and then with the staff teams we do a lot of work around team communication and leadership development. Nice so is that something that you chose to train in so is your background in that from the start yeah yeah so in terms of the journey that's exactly yeah the journey so for me I, I think the key aspects of the journey I think it all started years and years ago I was about I would have been about 16 and um around this time um I was encouraged to volunteer at my local youth club so on my local youth club there was an alternative education provision so it meant that during the day I was um, working with students that had been either um, permanently or temporarily excluded from school. So I was working with them during the day and in the evening I was volunteering at my youth club and I absolutely loved it. It was was in the area where I grew up um, and I was quite passionate about the area where I grew up as a young and so for, for that that kind of started to sow the seeds of like this sense of working with young people in this particular way and then after some time like I guess key bus stop journeys if I was to put <laughs> it like that um I started to to work for the Islington Council um so yeah. that was really cool I went on to become like a detached youth worker and again that was on my literal estate so where I was volunteering initially that was about 15 minutes away but where I had the role of being a, a senior detached youth worker I, that was literally where I grew up so for me, that was like massive. And um, so I really enjoyed that. And it, it kind of gave me such a, uh, it kind of immersed me into engaging with young people and families and the wider community in such a complex way that it kind of forced me to be like quite invested in growing as a leader. It meant I was thrusted into a, a, a scenario where I had to grow in leadership skills. Like um, it seemed like immediately. 
Um, so that was quite significant in, in Interscope's journey. And then, and then I think for me, there was a particular point in which I was working, later on I started to work in a pupil referral unit once again. And I think that was one of the most significant aspects of me deciding that I want to start a company um, that works with students around applied emotional intelligence. I think how that came about was by virtue of me <laughs> being honest, actually, those times where students came through the doors and they had better maths than me, you know, <laughs> academically, they were like, yeah, there were yeah. some really, really bright students. However, that was also accompanied by um, quite a, a, an inability, actually, to manage um, relationships, really whether yeah. that was with peers or whether that was with staff members i'm seeing students that academically would have blown me out of the water when particularly when i was their age but um i think when i reflect back on my academic journey i had a reverse going on i was i was all right at, at getting on getting along with my with my peers and kind of working out who was who was for me and who was against and then and then also yeah. again working out you know how i could maximize relationships with teachers in order to actually be um, you know have effective conversations that kind of help me progress and i saw that actually in one sense that is quite a nuanced skill set for a teenager definitely so it was it was it was when working in a prue that i was like actually i would love to start um a, a program that kind of helps students in in that sort of way and then I went on to study um, a youth and community degree um, at the University of East London. That was really, really significant for me. Um, and so all of these kind of things, I had the privilege as, as well in my youth work experience of being a youth minister. Um, so there was a church just outside the estate where I grew up. And, and that was massive for me as well. Um, so all of this kind of helped to kind of um, shape what Innerscope does in a sense, in terms of how we coach, how we get alongside students, how we bring, like what a, a key thing we're really passionate about is, um, yeah, communication and creating concepts that bridge communication. So the work that we do with students, a central part of that is the work that we do with the staff teams so that there is a new height and synergy between students and staff teams that contributes to like, yeah, students thriving. There's a couple of things you said in there that have mm. started ringing bells and setting alarms off. But Sean and I both work primarily in, in an educational setting. Mm. And uh, the first thing you talk about it being a privilege to work with young people. It's, totally. it's not it's not lip service because uh, mm. I feel I felt that myself and I work with young people inside and outside of college. Like totally. the the excitement you get from that, the yeah. the energy that 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 gives and puts that into the world is amazing um is. but not to get overtly kind of grumpy at the at the department of education straight away but the stuff that you're talking about the idea that there's lessons to be learned in school that aren't yeah. that are more valuable than maths yeah, yeah, in the yeah, yeah. in the in the world yeah, yeah, uh, yeah and how that's the stuff that's getting uh lessened or defocused yeah. uh speaks to the why there's a need for the work that you're doing totally. that that communication and negotiation of relationships is why schools exist with a bit of maths and english along the yeah, way i understand that i understand that it is such a that's a great way of just broaching that conversation i think it's it's been interesting actually because i, I definitely remember in my pre days uh, there was this whole theme of like seal they used to call it the social the social and emotional aspects of learning 
and um and I used to think this is massive like it's so it's so important isn't it um it's quite clear that unfortunately there's this tension between almost dichotomizing academia and then like the holistic development of students but I think and so there's and what's been interesting is there's been times where for instance Interscope will go in and have a meeting with a school and they'll be working out if they would want to work with with us and you can clearly see some of the staff members are honest enough to say well listen they need to be focusing on that academia and 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 where unapologetically our approach is actually students come outside of their some of their taught lessons actually um so so it is quite an intentional decision when schools choose to work with us and and again like um we that's that's our approach it it brings outcomes we we run with that but i think if i was to be massively honest with you with the global pandemic i think it put things into perspective like I'm pretty sure that, that like it wasn't just in a scope. I know there was droves and droves of teaching practitioners and staff members that were hoping that the students had some sort of emotional resilient capital to be able to navigate yes. a global pandemic. And 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 it's it's almost unfortunate that at that point there was a small part of me saying this is what we've been saying. There was a small part of me that I was saying almost not wanting to, but I told you so. Like 110%. We Feeling vindicated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, so yeah, I think in terms of the conversations that it's had, unfortunately now when I'm speaking to senior leaders and head teachers, you know, they're coming out with things like, you know, one of the schools that we work with, literally the head teacher was like, James, if there was ever a time that we needed you guys in our school, it's now. You know, and in one sense, yeah, if there is that sense of vindication, but there's also a sense of it's unfortunate, you know, in, in, in one sense. Yeah. So for me, a simple remedy is it doesn't have to be either or both and works, you know, both yes, and absolutely. clearly works. And that's and that's where I've landed. Yeah. James, mm. thank you so much for being here. Uh, I know that you've uh, that Mark gave you a, a good introduction, um, and you guys have spoke. So <laughs> just wanted to say hello. Um, no, it was really good uh, when you were mentioning about your, the youth work because it really reminds me of kind of my my kind of start to my career. Sort of at sixteen, I was working in a local youth uh, in a community centre, um, and I got a nice mentor there who who worked really hard with me uh, with, uh, at Westminster Sports Unit, who I'm still in contact with today. But that was a really good eye opener for me so you've worked in some i'm gonna say complicated educational environments i've two two uh sounds like a much lesser extent worked in pupil referral units as a drama Mm. facilitator where the entire purpose of being there is about Mm. developing more uh strategic or complex ways of communicating Mm. to give vocabulary to people without vocabulary where that vocabulary isn't you know do you know how to order um you know a cup of tea in german it's (laughs) you know do i know how to express to someone that i am angry or frustrated with how they are with me or how i am unable to be with them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you're in those pupil referral units yeah and you're working with students that don't have the skills off the bat. Mm. How do you approach uh, the subject of, okay, we need to think about communication because it can be quite a sensitive thing to say, okay, yeah. you guys aren't working well. It could, yeah, of course. I think, and what, I think so how we approach it, 
is actually by drawing um, attention to the fact that actually this theme is a through line that benefits and resonates with everybody. So the thing is, the beautiful thing about our work is, is that we work with a spectrum of students. We're not only in pupil referral units, we're not only in um, um, working with students that have been um, maybe, um, you know, marked as having challenging behaviour, but we work with um, students from across the board. In fact, one of our longest, um, uh, one of the clients that we've worked with for about four or five years now is a, is a boarding school in Brighton. And, and what draws that all together, essentially, is the fact that we, a lot of the work that we do is through the lens of leadership. It's through the lens of, of, of them um, progressing and taking ownership of how they're applying themselves. And these are themes that resonates with everyone. So I think when, we, when we're working with students that might have actually been marked as having challenging behaviour and we let them know that actually this is something that resonates with everyone and that everyone could be working on and developing, then, I, I, yeah. then that's one thing that kind of gets their shield down somewhat. So there's that. But then another key thing that we do um, is is around helping them identify, you know, what their why is. That's a big part of it. So that's ma massively inspired by Simon Sinek's work on, you know, starting with the why. And yeah. that's actually a conversation that we take to students. And we just find that actually that helps to broach some really fascinating conversations with young people that naturally lend itself to them taking ownership of how they're applying themselves or at least reflecting on how they're applying themselves. So I think, you know, we don't go to young people like, okay, so the reason why we're in your school is because you've been marked as being- a, no, You done bad kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, because one, that's not the truth. As I say, like we, we work with all sorts of student, students with different capabilities. Um, but again, the theme, like it's, it's great to be able to say the conversation that I'm bringing to you right now I bring to head teachers, I bring to heads of years and they're yeah. thinking about this, but you get to think about it a lot earlier. And that's the truth. There's coaching conversations that we have with students that we use exactly the same co coaching conversations with, with middle and senior leaders. And, and I think for young people, they get empowered by that. And that's something I wanted to, to, to bring up, actually, because mm. my experience of working in Apru, uh, the, the faculty there, the staff members mm. are generally extremely conscious of mm. how they approach status, how they approach their version of leadership. They understand quite consciously the impact that that has on the students that they're with. So they're generally mm. very, very careful. In more traditional or less uh, extreme educational settings, sometimes you find a situation where uh, a, a teacher or a faculty member mm -hmm. needs to check themselves mm. and how they consider their status with young people because it yeah. is quite easy for them to sit in the hierarchy of there's a student and then yeah, there's a teacher who sit above that. Yeah. Does any of your work deconstruct that or, or, mm. or approach that? Breaking mm -hmm. down that status idea as far as mm. leadership goes? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we do speak into that actually when we work with um, staff teams. There's a key concept that we take into schools and it's quite simply called for me, against me or for yourself for me, against me or for yourself. And simply this whole idea that when team members work with one another or as a teacher, the way how you engage as a school leader, the way how you engage with students, do they walk away thinking that teacher is for me? 
as in like they're they're here to fight for my highest goods they're here to see me thrive do they walk away thinking that teacher's actually against me or do they walk away thinking that teacher then they're not for me or against me they're just for themselves and then quite equally that's a conversation that we take for teams as well you know students aside for a moment when we think about the culture of your team is it do you have a culture that is comprised of just individuals that are for themselves or do we have a culture that's comprised of of individuals that are against one another or ideally do we have a culture of a team where actually you know it's clear that they're for one another james james when you say when you say a teacher would be for themselves yeah examples of that are we talking about I want to get the best grades in my department and therefore I'm going to take the top students and I'm going to kind of forget about the others. Is is that what we're talking about for ourselves? So on a teaching sense, unfortunately, teachers that might be for themselves, so to speak, or what it Mm. might look like for that to be perceived is that. It's this this sense of, you know, um, I hear, unfortunately, like in in one particular school, um, there there can be this culture um, where it's, it's almost this inordinate, like, um, an acronym do it and it's like do whatever it takes so if that's right. like you literally <laughs> give feeding them the answers then right, you know right. do whatever it takes if it's you you know and and actually what's what I find fascinating um, as I say we work with students in mainstream predominantly in mainstream at this point actually but if I was to be honest an observation on my side is when when working with students former pupil for a unit you can like one thing that they're amazing at like their discernment like they're really good at being able to recognize actually there's that teacher there yeah uh, he's just yeah. here for the job they're just they're there for the job they're, 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 they do <laughs> and it's amazing and i and you know i would argue a lot of that is around safety actually a lot of that is around them being able to have quite quickly have to make an assessment as to how yeah. safe they are definitely yeah. and, and as a result of that they just get these amazing skills at being able to recognize mm, i don't know that they, they just they just care about the grade so to speak and james i think mm. on that as well mm. i think mm. a lot of teachers find that intimidating Mm. because it's like how has a 14 year old worked me out yeah you know so rather rather than flip it and go wow what an intelligent socially uh, emotionally uh, switched on teenager who understands the world and is maybe a little bit streetwise has clocked on yes to me worrying about myself you know they take it in the other way um and i think I think you can flip that switch on students really easily to to the teacher's benefit Mm. to really get them going and get them to be on side. But I love the for you against you um, or for themselves. That's a really good way of looking at things. I was going to say, James, Mm. um, obviously we've looked at at students there uh, Mm. and maybe the student and staff relationship a little bit. Mm. But if we just look at the staff team for a moment and just, and just to take it back even further to the leaders Mm. uh, and the culture that is in those schools, Mm. Who is actually asking for you to come in? Because because I think that is the point in time where you feel you've the door is open to change or to new ideas anyway. And if that's yeah. coming from a head teacher or someone like that, then maybe you're in the right environment to begin with. Yeah. Um, so can you just take us into a little bit about who who's brought you in? Who, who's brought Innoscope into schools? Why? Uh, and then maybe touch a little bit on than the staff teams, because I'm fascinated Mm. by a group of maybe senior leadership uh, um, staff members sitting around the table and maybe having to look at themselves in terms of their leadership and what that looks like and having conversations, because it's a very tough 
space i think sometimes yeah totally it's just a great question actually i've never been asked that so commonly you know typically i'm invited in by school leaders so whether that's um usually it's like a a vice principal a head um a principal or a um or like a head of year eight head of year nine yeah. head of head of years so usually it's someone that has you know quite a significant say in terms of like the culture of a year group or the culture of, of the, a staff team. And as you can imagine, like I, I fully take, I, I see that as a, a massive privilege to be able to contribute positively to any team um, that we get to work with. If I was to be honest, I think things started to pick up somewhat for the work that we do. I was awarded basically by the Metropolitan Police for work that was done um, on the, the council estate where I grew up, yeah. basically in terms oh. of supporting young people that were on the fringes of um, youth crime um, into into employment, basically. And I think off the back of that, that's when I think because because of the approach that I took, there was very much a through through the lens of self leadership and culture and and a lot of the things that was used in order to deliver that piece of work we take into the work with students and staff teams and off the back of that. Um, you know, schools have been willing to to have Interscope in to work with their students and their staff teams. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I guess on that though, once you then have that staff group, that staff team maybe in the room, mm. and if we just separate students a little bit now and we just, and we just dig into staff. Yeah. Is there staff who maybe walk into that room, at, you know, and they're not jumping up and down to speak to you or to mm. work on this because because maybe a head of year has noticed that things aren't quite right or a principal's noticed things aren't quite right or that things can be improved on. Yeah. But necessarily on the ground floor, you know, in, in the coalface, they, they, they're not sure that this is what mm. they need. Yeah, if that makes sense. You know what? So that's a great question. So to be fair, if I was to be honest with you, that's been quite rare, but it definitely happens. So what's interesting is you definitely, you know, there's sometimes you, uh, as a as a trainer, I might go into work with a staff team, and you can tell that there's this. Sometimes there's this sense of look. <laughs> yeah. I've been in this game for some time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. For me. Exactly. And you listen. You you know when I started teaching, you were probably in nappies. <laughs> so yeah. sometimes there can be a little <laughs> bit of that. But um, and for in those instances, listen, my my passion and my drive to deliver goes all the more simply because that whole premise is predicated on this assumption that the world we are in now is the same world that you've executed on um, in the past. Definitely. But the truth of the matter is things are moving at such a rapid pace that like literally, we're, we're, like we say, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So I'm, I am I have an acute eye. And this and this, this is what we expect of students. We, we pump students, oh, growth mindset, all of, the, all of that great yeah. stuff there. But, right, you know, and, and, and essentially it should be role modeled by staff. I am very happy to say though, that sort of attitude is quite few and far between. Most most times actually we get like staff teams are very much on board and quite passionate about facilitating a safe space where we're not here to to you know criticize but it's a, it's a space to sharpen um, one another's leadership essentially if we're saying that it's ultimately about seeing young seeing students thrive that's what it's about leading exactly. teams in a way that students there should thrive. be no issue there yeah. should be no issue do you get me and 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 what's really cool is in most cases when i'm invited in it is by like a deputy head or a head teacher or a head of, so that in the, in and of itself in most cases implicitly suggests that they're not gonna like a head, a head teacher is not gonna take all of this 
of, of his staff or her staff's time um, for anything that's not of value. So to be fair, I, 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 I can honestly say I don't get much resistance when I'm training. Most of the time, they're, 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 they're brought on board. You know, that's good. That's, that's good to hear. And like I said, I think if, you know, if their head is already thinking about Interscope or ahead of year and bringing you guys in, then maybe the culture is, is, is a growth mindset yeah, culture. Exactly. You know? Exactly. What, what would be, uh, you know, communication, we said is absolutely mm. key and vital. I've yeah. probably said the word communication about 12,000 times <laughs> yeah, in the, in yeah. the, in the uh, uh, podcast that we've put out already. But what, what are some of the examples? Cause I think listeners always, always want to always yeah. want that real life kind of example yeah, to kind totally. of think in their head. What, what are some of those communication issues that, that come up? Yeah that that staff do need to work through in their time with you you know yeah 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 so i think a key thing a fundamental aspect of the training that we do is the reality that um we're all different and i know it sounds i know it sounds plain but i guess for for myself that comes from someone that's trained in um a psychometric program that's got a jungian type basis yeah so as a result of that this is like the, the distinction between someone that might be what we might call a thinker in comparison to someone that we might say is a feeler. And it's not that thinkers yeah. don't feel and it's not that feelers don't think, but we're talking about preferential development that's taking place over time. And then, and again, there's other dichotomies that have an impact on how we communicate. So then very practically, you might just find that some leaders, the way how they lead, they've got an orientation to be more task focused, which is great and is important. And then quite equally, you've got leaders that when they lead and communicate, they've got an orientation to be more team focused. And so one of the things that we do is help leaders be able to collaborate that and be mindful of what that looks like when you lead. So yeah. there's, some, there's some particular um, staff members or what we like to call leadership voices that actually they're, they're all up for the task. But then there's some that actually you might just need to invest on in the relational element and, and make sure that that's taking place as well. Because if you don't, it's likely to undermine one's influence. So quite practically, you know, um, there's some there's there, there might be some spaces for instance where um yeah maybe some emotion like for instance leading through a pandemic if you yeah. are a task focused leader you're going to do well to at times pause and just check in with your team on a relational element because what you and, and interestingly enough there's so your leaders again that um, um quite a preference for being more thinkers than feelers you're more task oriented leaders for some actually when pressure hits their their tendency is to overdrive into the task but it's remembering that your team don't all see the world in the same way that you do so it's helping leaders to have that sort of awareness where they're able to be like actually as much as i might be a more of a task focused person i know that actually people on my team are not in the same sort of way that I am. They're obviously up for getting on with a task or we wouldn't be at work, but quite equally what it requires to get the best out of others is a different route for, for different um, individuals. So um, it's, it's, it's yeah. Which is why that, that why becomes so important, tying all totally. of these different skills and all of these different modes of communication to the same uh, yeah. reason for being in this mm. team. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's definitely central, but there is definitely power in acknowledging the, the nuances in different people's leadership voices. Um, so I'm, I'm happened to be trained by um, a great company called um, Giant Worldwide. And so the program that I'm trained in 
kind of creates a space where leaders are able to identify actually for me I'm, I'm more of a future focused sort of leader um so what that means is that oftentimes <laughs> when i'm daydreaming it's about the future <laughs> you know yeah. when i'm planning and dreaming it's about the future and that's great but there's other people on your team that might be more present focused which yeah. is great because they care about the future as well but how they get there is slightly different they build from where they are right now and so that means they're more they have more of an acute eye for things that need addressing right now to build towards the future where your future focus voices they they're compelled by what they can see Steve that, Jobs yeah exactly <laughs> like that visionary who exactly. then figures everything out afterwards with other along. people exactly yeah. and so what you might find then is that there could be communication wise there could be a chasm that is created because if you're a present focus um, leader which is great um, because it means that you're you're able to be really pragmatic about present issues um, which builds credibility amongst your team actually um, it means that if you're if you're present focus voice um, and and then you're being led maybe by someone that's fully future focused and they're unaware mm. of how future focused they are you're going to be like wait you're thinking about all of these big dreams but have you not seen all of these big problems that we're all dealing with right now 100 and, so, and so as that visionary is, is communicating all the great things he or she can see and do and what we can be actually is taking place in a context where you haven't even realized how much you've undermined yourself for the past six weeks or six months because of glaring issues that you failed to address so again literally that can become a coaching conversation in the team what are present issues that i need to be aware of i'm a future focused voice so it will do me well that i i take stock and those that i know ain't don't have the same leadership orientation for me to check in with them and say what are things that i might need to be aware of right now that we're not addressing you know it's that sort of thing so mm. is your training uh, do you find your training is more self-reflective or are you are you training people to in to interpret or to to become bilingual in that sense if i can speak i can speak the future but i can also speak the present or are yeah. you are you teaching them to kind of step back totally so i think i think there's definitely like um who is it i think it was aristotle um who said like our unexamined life is not worth living you know and and i think um the same sort of applies to leadership you know, if you're not going to critically reflect on how you're doing what you're doing, then there's a problem. So I definitely see the work that we do with leaders. A, a, a big part of my commitment is to create a safe space where that work can take place. However, it's not just a navel gaze. Like at, at some point, we've got to move into what does implementation look like? Yeah. How so does that apply? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How does that apply? So there's definitely a self-reflective element to it, 110 percent. But then there's a there's a collaborative. Okay, so what does this mean for your team? So again, with the training that we do, a prominent question that we we consistently ask is, what does it look like to be on the other side of you? You know, um, how do other people experience your leadership voice? Um, how do they experience your communication? You know, and your tendency, your tendencies, and your um, tendencies and your patterns, and you know, so getting them to think about not only just to think inwardly, but what impact does that have on those that are around me as well? And do you do you present them with that information? Because there's a there's a really there is a really certain answer to mm. what does it feel like to be on the other side of you is to mm. ask those people and to get that feedback directly from them. Do you do you present mm. 
do you find value in presenting leaders with that voice with the you think it feels like this this is what people have actually said it feels like definitely definitely i think um it's so funny actually and and, and there's such a, a beauty in being able to work with students and staff teams because you realize that actually there's things that we might um, take for granted when we work with students that actually staff teams really appreciate as well and so the question that you ask raises that reality of like creating a safe space once um, we create a safe space amongst staff teams then what we find um, is that they're happy or more willing I would say to receive that sort of um, input from their peers you know um, I think that's quite a, a key thing um, and, it, and to be honest like how it's, it's, it's so powerful, isn't it? To actually get honest feedback from yeah. um, from those that you're working um, along. The reality is, is though, is that it's not comfortable with, <laughs> you get me? It can be quite not challenging. And yeah. it does require that place for that to take, to, to happen. Because if, yeah, if, exactly. you're, if you don't abstract it outside of like, what's going on at work, what our current yeah. challenges are, it can it can feel judgmental. Mm. It can feel yeah, like you're being called out yeah. in a in a way that means we can no longer work together on this shared yeah. goal because I don't tr I don't trust or you don't trust or uh, yeah. We, we did it. We did a Sean. Sean and I did a test where we had to feedback on each other. Uh, mm. It's one of the Belbin team tests on a previous right, podcast, right. and uh, and yeah, just getting that collective sense of what are the words people would apply to me? Not necessarily yeah. how, how and when do they apply it, but yeah, I just yeah. have to interpret what do they mean when they say I am caregiving or I am unable to, what was mine? Unable to delegate. Right. <laughs> yeah, delegate, yeah. Right, Mark, right, Mark, right. Likes lot, Mark takes on lots of tasks Got and you. then when he needs to delegate, doesn't always, doesn't always do so. Right. I was going to say, James, on... Mm. On the uh, the point of that kind of safe space, and mm. that once once staff are on board together as a strong unit, mm. it, it you know it pays dividends to then the students. Yeah, totally. You know, I think I've experienced that and mm. and had examples of that where sometimes students can play teachers off each other, of course, of course. especially if they feel as though maybe one teacher is weaker yeah. or one teacher isn't quite doing what you're doing, mm. you know, so, so they come to you for advice or they come to you for information because maybe other teachers or staff members, they don't fully trust that they know what the right information is or what, what, what's up to date. And mm. I think, you know, sometimes that's not good because it can, sometimes it can play staff off of each other mm. because if a student comes back to you and says, Oh, X, you know, X said this, but you're saying why mm. that shouldn't be the case. The students should have the exact same communication, in my opinion, anyway, yeah, yeah, of course. about the school yeah, yeah. across all staff members. And, and I think it goes to behavior as well and, and consistency. So, you know, if I give detentions out, someone else should give detentions yeah, out and someone true. else for the same behaviors, because then once there's that consistency in communication, um, then students don't really have anywhere to go no, <laughs> in, yeah. in a sense. Yeah. There's no excuses. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's, that's massively significant. And um, there's, it's a very nuanced conversation um, simply because I guess one of the things that it, it brings up is the reality that in doing so, as you say, like there being like a uniformed approach, which we all know is like, what we need to strive for. Yeah, yeah. consistency um, is huge. Consistency is massive because it creates safety for young people. They just feel like 
cool. Like I know how it goes here. Yeah. If I do this, this is what's gonna happen. So we we know that even you know psychologically, that's a, that's that contributes to like a safe environment for them. I guess the challenge comes though with the reality of nuance, isn't it? There are some students that might have a bit more of a rapport with a particular teacher than others, and there are some teachers that might have a little bit more. Like the the truth of the matter is, if we were to kind of de- like not decode it, but if we were to kind of go beneath the surface, what you find is even by virtue of different leadership styles and personalities and stuff there are some if we were to be honest that it's quite an awkward thing but for some they've got them they're, they're more predisposed to people pleasing and so that's kind of happening underneath there yeah and that kind of in you know comes out on how they you know institute behavioral policy but again it's being aware of this being aware that actually you might find because oftentimes some people that struggle with that if we were to be honest chances are again if i was to look at it through a psychometric lens chances are they're they're more predisposed to being um a feeler than a thinker so to Mm. speak um and again as i say you know it sounds quite you know almost like a it sounds quite like a plain way of saying it there's nuances to these things so but again it's just that sort of reflection that sort of kind of working as a team um and being and remembering it's about the young people you know and so one of the key things we're quite passionate about is how do we lead in a way where we bring high support but we also bring high challenge you know Um, one of the models that we're trained in is is what we call the support and challenge matrix and it's this whole idea that essentially if you bring high challenge but you bring low support then you're going to create a culture of domination, fear and manipulation. If you bring low challenge and you bring low support, then you're going to create a culture that we call abdication, where there's like a lack of expect um, expectations and, you know, no sense of like anything really. If you bring um, high support and low challenge, then you actually create um, a culture, what we call a, a protector. And as a result of that, that leads to entitlement and, and, and it leads to mistrust. But actually, when we work with with schools, we're like, okay, how do we create a culture where we're bringing high support and high challenge? Yeah, and that creates yeah. that creates a culture where students can thrive and where teams can thrive as well. Yeah. We we love that one, Mark, don't mm-hmm. we? Because we we're, we're actually lucky. We have we have a we have a counselor that that works um, uh, at, at our school, mm-hmm. and you know she she's mentioned um, high challenge, high support so mm-hmm. many times. Mm-hmm. And before that, I'd not been uh, exposed to that that kind of phrasing right. and that kind of mentality. And as yeah. soon as she said it, mm-hmm. you know, um, as, soon, as soon as she said it, it just gave me a whole different perspective of mm-hmm. how we can how we can work with students totally. because, like you said, so many times we're scared to give them too much because they might break and then other times we don't give them enough and then we say oh they're not motivated and it's like no like we can push students we can get get them to want to be the best they can be as long as there are things in place around Mm. them to help and support that of course um i find it interesting whenever you have the those matrices because i do believe in the high Mm. uh high support high challenge i think sometimes it's worth recognizing that in order to offer high support high challenge you have to know Mm. where a a young person is on that matrix in terms of what they're able to receive because if you go in if you go in i am high challenge to someone who who is who is protected yeah. against that yeah. you're never you're never going to have the opportunity to give them high support mm. uh, and yeah, so it is about that. kind yes, of drawing people sometimes up towards that top corner yeah, of the matrix yeah, I like that. I like because that. you know i am i am if i'm anything mm. i do fall into that protector mode 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I'm trying to identify if they're ready for the challenge. Unfortunately, one of the things you have to do, and that I'm very bad, mm. I'm, I'm not very bad at, I'm quite bad at, is one of <laughs> the most effective way of saying, are you ready for this challenge, is to challenge mm. someone and of then be there with the support. Exactly. And so pitching that challenge. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. I think for me, if I was to be honest, I definitely, with, with, with the, the leadership voice that I have, I, I definitely, if I'm being unintentional and just leaving it down to just day-to-day I can definitely fall on like high support low challenge so for me my challenge to me is to bring challenge you know and and I practically do that with my team when I'm supervising I'll have a supervision meeting and for me uh, a metric that I have mentally is how much challenge did I bring I literally use the word you know as a way to hold me accountable to make sure that I'm moving towards a style of leadership that is comprised of high support and high challenge can I ask a question about that consciousness, particularly at the mm. moment? Because I, I'm, I'm feeling what you're saying there about there's, there's a conscious practice that we're trying to embody, that we're trying to get better at through repetition, through doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. there is our unconscious pattern that we fall yeah. into. Yeah, it's true. Feeling the responsibility, let's say, that I feel at the mm. moment for that consciousness. Mm to be the mm. best version of the leader of young people or the supporter of young people or the advocate at the mm. moment at a complicated time. Do you experience, I don't want to, I'm going to have to call it, burnout it, it. Right. The, the, of consciousness, of, of, of having to be that on in the way mm. that you're offering support and challenge the whole time, mm. particularly at the moment? Mm. So that's a great, great question. Do I experience burnout in terms of, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that question. I think for me, that's, that's, the, that's, that's, the, that's that element around um, one's, you know, emotional capacity and resources that one mm. has, isn't it? And, and that the whole staff wellbeing as well, conversation yeah. as well, which I think is massively significant. And, and I think for myself, if I was to like reflect on that, you know, really like, yeah, like critically, I think there's, there's, I think there, there, there's, in, there's been instances of that. Most definitely. I think um, it's very important to be able to take stock of where you are at personally in order to be of any substance and value to others in terms yeah. of how one, one, one serves, you know, and as, as I've mentioned before, you know, having the um, opportunity to serve as a community minister and a youth minister as well, like in quite a complex area, you know, yeah. um, I had, as I say, I had the privilege of growing up there, but there were some intense things that I had to witness yeah. or support young people through yeah. or like very, very life shaping intense areas you know in terms of instances like um stabbings that took place on the estate of of young people where i you know would have been the like i remember a particular young person and um when i was just getting into youth work he was one of the first young people that i wanted to support into employment you know i went to school with his older brother all of these intense issues can arise and and with a sense of no they're not a respecter of persons in a sense yeah 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 you know it's not like oh you're going through this as a practitioner so go through this and then something else it's like sometimes it all takes place at the same time i think one of the most um deepest things for me is i'm watching a young person have a have a conversation with his dad over the phone and his dad was essentially giving up on him his dad was essentially opting out of his life you know and watching that take place for me that was massively intense to literally 
hear that conversation, you know, and hearing his mum having to console him somewhat. So there's definitely instances where we realise that actually, you know, speaking to young people about resilience is one thing, but what about the resilience and well-being of practitioners? You know, that's massive. And I think a framework that I've found to be massively helpful around resilience is what we call the three R's of resilience. Yeah. Um, and this is um, and we help students with this. But one of the things is responsibility. You know, um, what are things that one I can take responsibility for, and just acknowledging the things that I I can't. You know, but what can I actually take responsibility Huge. for? Yeah, which is is a massive thing. But a really key thing um, is reaching out. One's ability to reach out for support, or ability to reach out for for help. And we help um, staff teams think about what does that look like for you when you're reaching out? Who can you reach out to? Who's there? And some people, who's there, you know? And again, for some students, we help them with that one as well. As the question came out of like, for myself personally, as I've shared for me, a a significant aspect of who I am is my faith, actually. So for me, reaching out is my my relationship with with God, you know? I, I think that's something that I find like prayer and things of this nature kind of fuels me up to be yeah. James, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Um, so that's yeah. what re- reaching out looks like for me, you know? And then finally, um, the final art of resilience is um, reframing, we call it. So that beautiful ability to look at things from a perspective that kind of moves you forward towards progression, you know? Um, so helping um, students do that, helping staff teams do that, um, is massively informed by having to practice that um, yeah. myself, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. Because we do, we as the as the lockdown kind of was went full force and teaching mm. from home started going on, mm. it's amazing how just looking at those three R's, the, the, the responsibility are completely wiped away from teachers. Like, mm. I, I cannot... I cannot do anything about mm. the fact that I'm teaching from home. Yeah, and actually exactly. I can't really do anything about how you're learning in so many ways that I'm used to, because I'm not in the same space as you, the reaching yes. out, we're told to be yeah. alone. We're told to be, mm. uh, we can't reach out. And so having, having a more esoteric or, uh, mm. faith-based mm. reaching out becomes, um, mm. hugely valuable there and I think for people who aren't religious the kind of the meditation mm. and mindfulness practice that allows mm. Mm. that space is, is probably mm. important and the reframing where we're facing uh, uncertain end to the situation it becomes really hard to reframe or it becomes quite exhausting yeah it's very true but it's, it's recognising the impact that that lockdown mm. has on the teachers that I have interacted with who yeah. I don't even think get that sense of re- relaxation from the holiday now because it doesn't feel that yes. different. Yes, it's, yeah. it's very true. It is. It's definitely <laughs> something that I've seen, most definitely, yeah. Although we do have to be careful on the uh, six weeks break when mm. people are still working all the time. I'm moaning, so we, I'm can't, we can't moan too much. Yes, We've got to be careful on that one. I always feel for the freelancers because they, they're the ones who uh, don't get paid throughout the summer but don't have exactly. any work because the schools exactly. aren't picking them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, James, listen, mm. it's been fascinating speaking to you. Um, I think we've got so much, so much in there. We could we could go into each one of your points, I think, <laughs> for, for, for hours. But um, we always say um, on the podcast that coaches make coaches, mm. you know. So is there anyone 
out there that's kind of molded you or had an impact on your leadership um, and your kind of journey mm-hmm. uh, and career? Um, or maybe you've seen some things where you're like, I'm going to make sure I, I don't act in that way or I don't mm. lead in that way. But yeah, yeah. Is, there, is there anyone that comes to yeah, mind Yeah, this has turned into yeah. putting people on blast for their team yeah. management. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Now, if I was to be honest, like, I think I've, I've, I've been massively um, privileged. Like, the things that have shaped me as a leader, like, you know, have been so significant, man. I think, um, yeah, so there's, there's a variety of people and a variety of experiences so i think one of the experiences if i was to be honest that really helped shape me and and a passion to grow as a leader is is being a senior detached youth worker on my estate because what it did is it put me in a really intense context um because of so much of the work that i was doing i had the privilege of supporting young people in a context where actually there was such obvious like quite pernicious (laughs) and vicious vices um, that were encouraging them to pursue other things. Like, so young people, working with young people, you're literally, you're you're against visionaries that have different visions for their, for for the young people that you're working with. And some of them are very great at communicating a compelling vision to be a drug dealer and yeah. actually they like you learn a lot about leadership from some of these organic leaders in the community that unfortunately are trying to enroll young people to do other things so it forced me to say james like you're here to create a different narrative yeah. how are you actively and passionately and effectively gonna go about doing that so having that sort of tension kind of forced me to get really creative about how effective I want to be about being a community leader, you know? Um, So that experience was a very, very, very powerful thing for me. But I I was blessed to have amazing um, leaders in my life. So as I say, when I was encouraged to go into youth work, you know, that was was a a local youth um, worker um, for my community. Manoli was he, he he was also actually at that time he was my sister my, my older sister's boyfriend you know and then nice. he got a, a local youth work club so so he was like a big brother to me to be honest and and so and he would always kind of in, encourage me to get involved in like a variety of positive activities so you know his leadership was amazing and you know early on in, in, in my faith like um you know the pastors of my local church it was just great to see um, men that were, you know, just great. I, I saw as great leaders, man, taking care of their families and and holding down jobs and like active, you know, in in, in their service. Yeah, was was massive for me. The things that you just kind of almost like just unknowingly taking definitely um, informed informed that as well, you know. But I, I, honestly, I think um, even now and then later on, I've just come across, you know, as in terms of your own professional and personal development you get exposed to like some great examples as well like i've always appreciated some of john maxwell's content um, in regards to leadership it's always found that helpful i think that the team at giant worldwide are absolutely phenomenal um so and and some of the input that i've received from them has been great um my time in ministry you know i've got a good friend who who leads a church in west london who's just been massively instrumental to me um, so all of these things have been massive, but I, I must say, I think the most precious gems have been when I was, 
you know, pounding the streets as a local detached youth worker on Andover Estate in North London. And some of the things that young people taught me and some of the things and circumstances that they went through and how I had to reflect on that as a practitioner forced me to learn some things then that have been massive and valuable to students and staff teams that I work with now. It's 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 Amazing. a it's a uh, crash course in adaptation mm. and humility yeah. and all of yeah, these things yeah, that say totally, how man. about you check totally. where you are right now. Yeah, right right now I'm telling you. Yeah. And the other mm. thing that we ask is how can we find out more about you? Is there anything you want to plug? Mm. Uh, we'll stick yeah. links for we'll li- stick links for the cool. um, giant worldwide and the John Maxwell stuff in the show notes. But if there's anything else right. you want the world to know about, tell them about it now. Yeah. So definitely, so in terms of the work that we do with students and staff teams, www.innerscope.co.uk and and then you can find out more about the work that we do with students and staff there. And um, yeah, that's mainly it really, actually. I think, um, you know, a key way in which we're working with schools in this time is we've got an online resource. Um, So that's been really cool is because it it means that we've been um, able to maintain our impact with schools um, by virtue of the internet, really. And that particular resource encapsulates so much of what we're about um it's basically comprised of like 10 um short and punchy inspirational impactful video clips for students but because we're really passionate about sustainable impact there's pre-designed coaching questions for staff staff members to use with the students so it just means that that, again it's not it's not just a one-off hit but there's these conversations that can take place for as long as the students are in school um so so that's 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 been really really fun yeah brilliant check check that out i'll put a link to to interscope in the show notes as well um thank you so much for coming on this has been a beast and i think i'd love to when the circumstance changes and maybe we have a chance to continue this chat in person uh because i think i think there's loads more to get uh, to get on to what do you reckon sean 100 absolute Mm. pleasure having you on james thank you so much um you you know i definitely think there's there's some stuff that we could work on sort Mm. of in our school and i know we've had those discussions as well and maybe in the future that's something that we can look into but mm. i just i just want to go back onto your last point uh james about you know what's kind of inspired you and and, and helped you along your journey mm. and just in those inner city kind of estates and working with those young people mm. it's just it's just so important i can't stress the importance mark has has experience of it i have experienced it you obviously have experience of it if there aren't those role models for these young people in their society in their everyday lives where does it come from where the, it just won't come from anyone or like you said it comes from you know the gift of the gab yeah visionary drug yeah. dealer yeah, 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 you yeah, know yeah. for example yeah, you know yeah, that's yeah. just one example mm. and and why would why would they not take that route mm. why would they not you know so i think it's so important for our listeners to just really understand the impact that that people working uh youth workers and people working in the community it's m- absolutely massive and they should be treasured and they should be paid a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah man, definitely, yeah. definitely. But thank you so much, James. Really absolute, appreciate it. Absolute privilege, guys. Really, really um, appreciate you reaching out. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Sean, the uh, three R's of resilience. Absolutely, absolutely. Really, really strong episode there and a really strong message from James. I think kind of my 
biggest takeaway I can remember from listening to it the first time around was the for me, against me, for themselves. And that right. was with regards to the student's relationship with the teacher, but then also kind of staff to staff uh, within that leadership team. So the for me is, you know, is that member of staff or is that teacher kind of wanting me to thrive? Are they against me? Do they actually not like me and they don't want me to achieve? And then kind of for themselves where I'm going to worry about kind of my own house and what I need to do. And that may be at the detriment of of a student or as a or a fellow colleague. So I really like that. I think it's a really strong, powerful message. Absolutely. And it speaks to we didn't really pick up on it on the time, but that's why I love going back over these episodes is it speaks to a lot of the accountability stuff we've been talking about since then and how and I was thinking about it as I was listening I hit this in a lesson uh, not too long ago where I was being really really specific with some students and I was playing this kind of bossy character Uh, and I do get into character as a teacher so I was kind of I was kind of being really really like you do it at this time on this beat if you've done something that I haven't said, I'm calling you out on it. And they they missed a step in the process. And so this character kicks in. I go, you've missed this step. You've done it. And they said, but you didn't tell us we had to do it. And they were right. I had, I had assumed because it was a repetitive action that they would just consider it. Uh, and I'd forgotten to be really explicit about it. And in that moment, I felt this character about to go defensive and like I'm not the one in the wrong here and I had to check myself and take a breath and go you're absolutely right I set my expectations you've met them perfectly I was the one who got it wrong here I mean yeah if I if if we if we take uh if if everyone can just um transport themselves onto a netball court as me as their coach who is very very low level in in the sport and uh, and learning it kind of uh, on the job for when you set up a session and then kind of halfway through the drill the students come up with a better suggestion as to how that drill can be done you need to put your ego away and you need to say yes that is a better way of doing it let's yeah. do it rather than jump on the defensive and keep kind of stuck to your guns doing a drill that doesn't quite work so Lots in there. In that moment, it's really hard to do, though, isn't it? And so I think that that, the stuff that James is talking about in terms of emotional intelligence and being accepting of a a slightly more equal relationship is key in it. And it was so interesting that that listening back, like I, I could literally pinpoint the moment when that happens. It sounds like you've had the same. Yeah, I think as well, just just on that kind of being on the same level communication wise I think you know with, with with young people I think there is an argument to say that you almost have to earn your stripes as a student to do that and I think it does come with the age so I work with some lower school students who are maybe only 14 15 and I do have a different relationship and a way of communicating with them to to an extent mm. than I do 17 and 18 year old young adults that I work with in a sporting relationship, there is a lot more collaboration with them. There is a lot more listening to their viewpoints and how they see things kind of working out, whether that be in a session, um, you know, so, or a decision being made on something. Whereas with the younger students, I do think that that is something that 
they need to develop over time with maturity. I do agree, absolutely. But the one kind of caveat or the holdback that I always think about is it's that, yes, you need to earn the right to be respected on your opinion on this, but you don't need to earn the right to be respected. And yeah, I think that for some, for some adults... There is a, there might be a caring relationship. There might be a, a parental relationship where you're looking out for them. But I don't know if that respectful relationship is inbuilt. And when we think about the kind of coaching that James does, that works on the principle that you are the expert in yourself, that expertise you deserve to be respected on. Like, for being you, you you by default have my respect. Certainly on that subject, I'm going to listen to your expertise. And I think that that, that doesn't always come by default. No, you're right. And I, th- I, think, I think James was saying that the students tended to get on board quite quickly once they knew that the same work was being done with the staff. So yeah. this wasn't about, yeah. okay, you guys are underperforming or you guys have behavioral issues. This is like, as a culture, as a school, we want to be the best versions of ourselves. Yeah, we've, we've the staff brought, we've are doing the same work. we to fix the students is never the case. Exactly. And they need to hear that. Exactly. Because I think it's, it's, a, useful, it's a useful exercise for us as, as adults and educators to, to listen with the expectation of good stuff to come out. Yeah, well, you know, he said as well, which made a really good point on kind of we tend to bang the drum of a growth mindset, you know, and we're constantly talking about this growth mindset. But sometimes we're kind of putting that onto the students that they need to have a real growth mindset, but then not really turning that around and shining the lens on ourselves as adults and as educators to kind of say we need a growth mindset as well so when someone like James and his team come along that should be an opportunity in our head to say great we're going to use this as a as a opportunity to grow and improve and learn and that's the thing to remember though is that that growth mindset and that resilience uh, is only necessary in response to challenge and failure like we're not we're not approaching yes. growth mindset on I'm doing this really well I'm going to do it even better growth mindset is about approaching challenge difficulty and potentially failure and reframing and and reaching out and all of those all of those tactics in order to get better and in in a school environment in uh adult child or adult young person environment like I've felt myself facing that as a challenge of I don't I don't know how comfortable I am being a person who is finding something difficult or is seen to be finding something difficult or failing in this space that failure takes practice definitely we have to love graceful failure takes practice we have to love to fail don't we we have to enjoy failure because it's a learning opportunity to move forward and be successful so mate if you'd ever had a sunday roast around mine you'd know what failure tasted like <laughs> um there's also there's also a really a really cool poem uh or kind of spoken words mm. uh that that 
James Adu has done since our episode and he has posted that on his LinkedIn account and I'm sure the wonderful Mark will will put that in the show notes because um, it up. is definitely it's... definitely worth a listen I really enjoyed it yeah it's it's uh bought bought some feels to me as an educator but I think it's something that that everyone can really uh kind of look at where they where they are in relationship to it I'll put a link in the show notes have a watch of that video so that was that was James's episode. We loved it. Uh, we'll get James on again uh, post lockdown because we did say we needed to we needed to hang out in person because uh, it was and listening back I was re- I was reminded it was just a f- like the the guy made us laugh loads. It was just fun yeah. to record. <laughs> yeah, re- really personable, and and you can imagine that when he does go into schools and he works with young people, like he can really relate to them. Um, I can definitely see that, even though we've done that for his for a for a Zoom call. Mm. So um, you know, I'm sure he's really impactful and enthusiastic. And we we spoke about that with uh, Matt last week. I don't think you can beat enthusiasm. You know, I think the kind of knowing the ins and out of a subject can come to you over time but you know that enthusiasm is is a building block i think and a start point uh in anything it's a start that point you and, do. It's, and it's the fuel yes and it's the energy that takes everything forward you're dead right uh so yeah look out for us for a second james episode when we when we get there uh for now though uh that that that's us uh we will go into this week excited and resilient if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it via email, Mark or Sean at knowipodcast.show. That's our website as well, www.knowipodcast.show, where you can listen to all of the episodes uh, and find links that will point you towards all of the places you can listen. Uh, you can also hit us up on social media at knowipodcast on Twitter and Instagram and uh You've probably already visited the links to Sean and I on LinkedIn, our new favourite place, uh, where we get to share some of the insights we're showing on the pod with some of the people that will end up on the pod. It's where we're getting some really great guests, so do uh, connect with us there and maybe we can uh, find a way to talk with you about how you run teams on one of our episodes. Uh, All that's left now, though, is uh, looking forward to... uh, Lockdown 2 ending next week is to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork. Yes.